Boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with the gregarious Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you live and direct from the great state of Jefferson, where freedom still reigns supreme. A stormy, dark morning here. Fall is in full effect. Actually, really just gone right into winter. Uh, we have rain bear for the foreseeable future on the horizon here. Long gone are the sunny days, but... Um, this allows us to get inside and get to work on lots of other fun projects, uh, launching the new platform, uh, more content, uh, developing the other YouTube channel. Uh, guys, if you haven't followed that yet, um, please go ahead and follow us on um, that other channel, which the show link will, uh, will be in the link below in the show notes, uh, Off Grid Elegance. It's... Um, uh, youtube.com forward slash off-grid elegance. We will be posting a lot more content there. Um, and also, Bear and I were talking about uh, the exciting, um, when we launch the new platform, all the exciting new products we'll be offering to uh, the private co-op and um, uh, filming a lot more content of Bear in his alchemy lab, which is I'm really looking forward to. And I know our audience is, as well, uh, as alchemy is one of the core fundamentals behind Alpha Vedic transmuting all the nonsense out there bare into beauty it's what we do av breaking bad <laughs> yes walter over there uh <laughs> doing what you do best it's really clear um, good stuff we make too <laughs> uh yeah and uh the stuff i'll be making well i'm already making actually i'm uh pressing a bunch of herbs uh you know over the weekend they've been curing for months you know for a new product line i won't give you any hints uh, a lot of these things are very high level take months and months to prepare so they will be exclusively offered to our members so they better join if they want my good stuff <laughs> um so yeah it's um we went from, I think last year, we went from winter right into summer and skip spring. And now we're going right from summer with no fall into winter. So things are pretty screwy. You know, I do uh, actually look forward to the off season too. I approach it like I used to approach football season. You know, Deb and I work very hard out there. You know, you see us and, you know, after every day, I'm kind of beat up and a little stiff and everything because we just dig holes and do a lot of heavy lifting and, and farm work and uh i liken that kind of like football season you know where you can be in good shape going in but you have to get in football shape well farm work is the same way so now i'm going to take the next few months to go up in my gym to specialize more in my martial arts and all the stuff and get ready for a new season next spring so i kind of enjoy the the cycles of training and work and everything because it's something i've been used to forever so uh enough of old war stories mike take it away that's amazing. Yeah. So you hit the plow, right? You know, uh, the football sled, you got one of those out there in the farm. Well, now I, uh, yeah, during the season, I have wheelbarrows full of uh, rocks that I have to push up a hill to dump them over the ledge down on a different part of our property after I clear areas. So that's my football sled. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, today's going to be a, a wonderful show and enlightening for sure. And, you know, a lot of the, the madness going on in the world continually for what seems like thousands of years now probably is, I know is due to the fact that we have no idea what our true history is. 
what how this realm works and or at least the mainstream doesn't uh explain this appropriately and most is hidden most is occulted and today we'll be going back into that subject matter which seems to be a theme from the last few shows about the true nature of our history the realm that we're in through the scope of biogeology and all of the work that uh has been done on the stellium seven channel uh, today with Mike Wilkerson, who is a fellow gaucho, by the way. Uh, go UCSB, you can study buzzed. <laughs> <laughs> University of California, Santa Barbara. We were both going to school at the same time, we found out, which is really cool. We ensure, I'm sure we crossed paths many oh, times. Oh, you went to Santa Barbara? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I but know, I, I wasn't, I didn't live in Isla Vista or anything. I, I was oh, a little okay. older, so I didn't quite party my brains out like most of the other students were like uh like other people i know like mike and my son who went to school together there <laughs> they tore up santa barbara pretty badly uh i think i even had to make a couple uh little visits to the local police station to uh bail my kids out on on occasion there but anyway they hey, are we were just upstanding citizens right now <laughs> we were just holding up to your legacy bear so uh, uh nobody can do that um yeah man uh, really cool and uh found out some uh, tasty nuggets about mike he was into hang gliding back in the day he shared a really cool video of him from santa barbara days uh and uh now is training um the terrorists from gaza strip right going in the hang gliding in uh yeah my kid <laughs> yeah who needs parachutes when you've got a you got a hang glider <laughs> Uh, that's really cool, man. Uh, you're a man after my own heart and you've even, you, and you were sharing that you had even surfed campus point and all the spots in Santa Barbara, probably Devereaux and all the, all those spots. Rincon and yeah. Rincon. I never, I never got to, uh, Halama that was out at the point. Uh, but, uh, I never got to that one secret spot. That's like private that everyone <laughs> talks about. Oh, Hollister. I never got Hollister to Hollister. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Hollister. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hollister. Uh, my kids go out there. Well, they have some invites because we know people, but they also on occasion will go in, uh, by way of a skidoo and just go around the point there, but they mm. surf there a lot. And, uh, yeah. Halama, uh, outside of Lompoc is, uh, I love that area out there. I used to go there pretty often when I lived down there, when the kids were in school. Yeah. It's okay. an amazing part of the world. Uh, I miss it, but the place I live here is uh, is very similar in in climate and big mountains, and that was one of the things. After ten years in Sweden, I I felt like I needed something a little more like Southern California, but in Europe, and uh, and so this this felt right like home when I got here. You're right by the Castile de Santa Barbara there in Alicante. And yeah. also, so I'm not so far from Santa Barbara after all. Not far from Santa <laughs> Santa Barbara, and also, um, I believe they filmed a bunch of the spaghetti westerns out by you. Um, yeah, Sergei I can't remember the name of that region. Yeah, yeah there's that definitely, definitely it, it, filmed it them here. Looks but I haven't like been the Southwest. Out it's wild. Spain is like a little mini continent. It's got just about everything you could ask for. Everything from skiing to deserts to rain rainforests to beaches and it's pretty it's pretty wild it's kind of like california in that respect there's a little bit of everything well um today we're going to be diving into mike's work uh which is really 
fascinating to say the least. And it ties into a lot of stuff we've talked about in the past, Tartaria, uh, gigantism, uh, the nature of uh, the geological structures that uh, are often said to be something that we think are completely different, like the giant tree um, you know, theory and stuff like that, which we've gone deep into before in previous shows. So I'm really excited about this. Uh, are many land and rock formations actually petrified titanic beings, mega flora and fauna from another era? Biogeologist Dr. Mike Wilkerson is here to tell us why this may indeed be true. Mike Wilkerson has always had a knack for asking unconventional questions. As a teen computer hobbyist turned hacker in the early 80s, his thirst for knowledge led to wild adventures with some of the top hackers in the nation. But in 1985, the fund ended in a brief incarceration. After being caught for his infiltration of computer servers at Microsoft and three other Seattle area companies. So that's he... where I met you. <laughs> um, Sorry, though he's Mike, walked the straight. <laughs> Uh, though he's walked the straight and narrow since then, Mike's propensity towards questioning the unquestionables has never waned. In the decades that followed, he morphed from a mischievous hacker to a benevolent backcracker, uh, being a chiropractor. For over a decade now, Mike has lived and worked as a chiropractor on the Costa Blanca in Spain, where his mission is to improve the health of the world one spine and mind at a time. As a part-time independent researcher, Mike is fo focused primarily on alternative history, non-standard cosmologies, catastrophism, and rapid petrification. Some of his presentations are available on his Stellium 7 YouTube channel, which is fantastic. I can't recommend enough. That uh, link right here is below the video. Uh, take it away, Bear. Okay. Hey, Mike, this is uh, going to be too much fun here. Uh, thanks for being with us. And I've, I've really wanted uh, for a while to uh, meet you personally. So this is a treat for me. And uh, yeah. we're fellow Kairos. So um, that's kind of fun. Uh, just a quick uh, Cairo anecdote. You know, when I was in chiropractic college, I learned that there was a back room deal between the AMA and the Chiropractic Association of America. Are you aware of that? No, but it doesn't surprise me in the least. <laughs> Well, here it is. Uh, they uh, had already incorporated the osteopathic profession. Of course, they don't want competition, so it's better you mean, to just... You mean assimilated. Have... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, so osteopaths took the deal. Hey, we're, you know, part of the AMA brethren now, and, you know, we can shoot drugs and do all that kind of stuff. Of course, they forgot how to adjust uh, and use their manual therapies that put them on, on the map in the first place. So um, they took it, but they also approached the Cairo profession uh, somewhat a few years later and with the same deal. And the hierarchy of the chiropractic profession, which uh, I don't know what they're like now because because a lot of the schools over here are standardized and not what they were, and they've been kind of usurped in other ways. But back then, we could have been full, you know, AMA brethren, but they didn't take the deal. In fact, they told the AMA where to stick it, and they didn't want to have anything to do with them. The uh, mm. AMA then launched, this is where, I don't know if you remember, but- We're going back to the 20s back, now, right? Uh, no, actually, we're back uh, in uh, the 70s now. Oh, okay. The 1970s. 
And uh, then the uh, chiropractic profession just coincidentally became under severe attack from the AMA. You couldn't pick up a newspaper or magazine article or anything anywhere that didn't have something bad to say about chiropractors because they wouldn't take the deal. Now, what followed uh, after that was even better. And this is stuff that the public has no awareness of. You know, your local Cairo could have been an MD right now, you know, if they if we wanted to. Now, what they did also is uh, the chiropractic profession, because of all the slander, launched uh, a, a suit against the AMA for Chester uh, Wilk libel. And, and yeah, and they won it. They yep. they uh, won a decision against the AMA. So lasted over a decade so, for for racketeering, essentially. Right. Antitrust violations. Yeah. 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 So uh, so I'm kind of proud of that part of uh, my background yeah people don't know that mm -hmm. so we're here to talk about other things uh, go ahead you look like you no, I, was, I was just going to add that people aren't, aren't aware that going back to the 20s that chiropractors were being jailed without you know jailed be, because the ama was you know in in cahoots with corrupt politicians and they convinced uh they convinced the politicians that chiropractors were practicing medicine without a license, even though chiropractors were saying, Hey, we don't do anything you do. We're not prescribing drugs. We're not doing surgeries. We're, we're literally adjusting for the purposes of assisting the body in, in healing itself, which is, you know, the, the, the natural innate intelligence of the body takes care of that. We're just trying to facilitate that. We don't do diagnoses. We don't do prognoses. So literally everything was distinct from, from what they were doing, but they were jailing chiropractors for practicing medicine yeah. without and a those, license. Uh, and those yeah. medical practices are, are not aligned with the chiropractic philosophy in the first place. Now, when I was in uh, naturopathic college, because I went to four-year naturopathic college first, I sat next to a uh, older gentleman in Friday get-togethers. You know, we had a big auditorium, and then we'd get there, and we'd have guest speakers to, uh, you know, finish out the school week. And uh, this one naturopath who was in his 90s back then, I was in my, like, 20s or something, you know, and, and that was back in, like, the mid-70s. He used to tell me stories about what it was like for him being a naturopath. He spent a uh, considerable time in jail. He uh, said, that's okay. There's sick people in jail. I take care of them too. Uh, libraries, uh, the biggest library, four stories uh, library in Philadelphia, biggest uh, library with natural healing and everything was burned to the ground. Schools were burned to the ground. Families were persecuted. It was like horrendous. And of course, it was all following the dictates of the uh, Rockefeller. Rockefeller medical model that... Uh, you know, old man Rockefeller, who famously said competition is a sin. So they didn't want to have any, any, uh, they were the upstarts, of course, and but they didn't want to come in and have to compete with the people that were actually helping uh, folks. And, and actually nature paths and chiropractors were the doctors of the day back then. So anyway, enough yeah. of that. Uh, we're here. We could, I'm really we could literally speak the whole podcast <laughs> on that subject exactly. alone. And I'll, I yeah. mean, it's so important for, for what's happened in the last years and people don't even understand really what, what chiropractic is offering. They just see the TikTok videos with all the back crunching and they think that's what it's all about. And it's way more profound than that. So, yeah, but, Ex uh, exactly. Thank you. For save that for another that. time. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'm really eager to hear your presentation today. You know, I've uh, watched a couple and just uh, fascinated with the whole thing. I was kind of familiar with some of the subject matter, but never really dive deep into it. So this is going to be a fun talk. And so uh, I guess the first question right out of the the, the shoots here is uh, that piece of uh, fossilized wood I had when I was a kid that actually could have been somebody's little toe at some other time. Well, it might have been wood. <laughs> you know, if, if it was <laughs> petrified wood, that's that's a distinct possibility. But yeah, the the uh, the the term biogeology. You've called me Doctor Wilkerson, and and there is no biogeology. It's a it's a term that I appropriated. Uh, it's actually used. It has to do with the the I think the exchange between the biosphere and the lithosphere, and it's a it's a little used term, and there's not much out there if you search for it on on Google, but I, I coined the term biogeology or I appropriated it because I felt like it was needed to distinguish between what we were told as kids and, and students about the nature of, of stone and where it comes from and uh, what, what I've found to be more in alignment with, with what I consider to be truth. But obviously the, the mainstream thinkers when it comes to geology just they think I'm a quack and I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of all kinds of different uh, errors in thinking and reasoning. So uh, biogeology <clears throat> was for me an umbrella term to, to distinguish between what we're told about geology, which is petrogenesis is life dying, whether it's plant life or animal life, and then slowly over millions of years compressing into harder and harder layers and then new layers come on top and then that all gets pushed downward and as it gets further and further down the heat increases and then you start to get these these changes it becomes metamorphic rock and then it eventually becomes magma lava and then it's pushed up through volcanoes and that's the whole cycle of petrogenesis so you have essentially three kinds of rock you have sedimentary you have metamorphic, which is sedimentary melting, you could say, and, and becoming transmuting into other harder forms of stone and then eventually melting again. And, and, and so that is their explanation for literally all of the stone that, that we see. And, and there's so many examples that I've come across in the last few years since I've been looking into this of, of stone that just doesn't make any sense when you when you hear it from that perspective and uh so what initially got me on the subject was this this idea of mud fossils which many in this community have heard of and um, that's basically the idea that things can fossilize much faster than we were told we're told that it takes thousands even millions of years for things to fossilize but according to um, roger spur of mud fossil university which isn't a real university, but it's um, you know his his take on on what it should be. Um, he he claims that this can happen in a very short amount of time, and and the basic idea is that things get encased in mud, and then there's an exchange between the gases and the fluids inside the tissue with the minerals and the materials that are in the the, the substrate that it's buried in. So the the mud works its way in, and the gas and the fluids work their way out. That's called paramineralization, and that's the mainstream explanation for how we get things like petrified wood. That's, you know, they talk about paramineralization. They also refer to 
I think it's nucleophilic substitution. And, and it's, it's, we're told that it happens over millions and millions of years, even hundreds of millions. And they, you know, that, that gets into um, lots of subjects like dating techniques and strata and how old are things and how, how do we determine how old things are. And when you start to dig into that, you find out that that's a mess and that there's lots of uh, critics along the way that have, that have called out different techniques and, and said that they're pseudoscientific and, you know, there's circular reasoning. You, you determine the age of something by the layer of strata that it's found in, but then you determine the layer of strata, the, the age of the layer of strata based on what you find in the layer. So that, you know, it's one, one hand washes the other. Um, but I started finding things when I was looking at stones uh, with new eyes I started finding things that didn't make sense to me from a mud fossil perspective because I was finding examples and, and not just on my own, but also as I looked into the to the record of, of instant petrification, that there, there are lots of examples of things that can be petrified through through heat, through plasma, through high mineral content waters, through uh, electricity. There's a whole variety of different ways in which things can petrify. And so that's why I coined the term or, or appropriated the term biogeology, because I felt like at least for the time being, we're, 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 in my opinion, we're being fed a load of bull by geology as a whole. Um, this is a good replacement term for the time being to help us understand that a lot of the things that we're seeing are biological in origin, like we're told in the mainstream geological narrative, but far more directly and far more recently. And a lot of the stone that we see that when you look at it, you go, wow, that totally looks like, like, you know, part of a creature or, or something that formed through growth. It doesn't look at all like something that, you know, just formed in this haphazard way, like we're told through, through this petrogenesis cycle. And as a chiropractor, I, I started looking at these stones differently and I, and I started recognizing things around me that were were utterly mind-blowing and don't they also say that <laughs> don't they also say that most rocks originated from space dust and comets that's like how the, that's, that's how the earth itself originated isn't it according to the mainstream heliocentric model that and, uh yeah and yeah. how the moon and all the planets are created is we slowly collected just... space dust yeah, and they all just got pounded into spheres, perfect spheres. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, seems... uh, go ahead, Mike. I just had a question on petrogenesis. So, are you saying that the theory behind that is that's how? So, there's you know we learn this in school. There's three types of rocks, right? There's sedimentary, uh, metamorphic, yes, and metamorphic, and metamorphic. And I, I, I was homeschooling my kids, so I had to relearn all this again. <laughs> We'd go out and look at rocks. So. <laughs> Are we talking about when petrogenesis, how do we relate that to that type of rock uh, in terms of, you know, because sedimentary is like supposed to be sand that's just squeezed together, you know, um, in minerals and stuff. And how do we relate that to the mineral kingdom as well? Yeah, well, the minerals that are in the sedimentary layer would be said to have come from the plant life and the animal life that's died, died and decomposed and then been compressed. Now, this happens under the seafloor because you have the whole weight of the ocean ocean on top of the this layer and then that that's going to be compressed more and more and more um 
here in this area, I've done a lot of looking at, at limestone. And the official story on limestone is that it's composed of coral, mollusk, shellfish, and um, skeleton, right? And and that there's these massive layers of limestone that we're told are hundreds of millions of years old. And there are examples where you can see with the naked eye, even you don't have to pull out a microscope. You can see that it this layer is really truly compressed shell and skeleton and coral and whatnot. So that kind of limestone does exist. There's no doubt about it. So there, there is truth to the sedimentary layering narrative also. I think that's the way it works with everything is they throw truth in there and then, then they obfuscate some things and they invert other things. And then, they, you know, if they can get you asking the wrong questions, it doesn't matter what your answers are. They, they've got us all, I, I coined the expression paradigm blind because we all grow up within a certain paradigm and we're blinded by that paradigm. So even if we're open-minded, we never, you know, like when I was a kid, I'm sure I looked at the rocks and thought, wow, that looks like this or that. But then you go to school and you find out tens of thousands of geologists over who knows how many years have, have all, you know, decided that this is how rock forms. And, and even though it looks that way, it couldn't possibly be that way. That is pareidolia or apophenia or, you know, whatever you just got an active imagination and we're pattern we're pattern recognizing creatures and so we can recognize real patterns or we can recognize patterns that aren't really there and that's that's apophenia that's what that that word means um i lost my Parad train of thought pareidolia but... does that mean it's like when you're looking at clouds and you see faces everywhere yeah exactly that's that's the visual version apophenia would be the pattern version whereas uh, pareidolia is I think what a lot of the, you know, the mud fossil Titan community are, are suffering from, because you see all of these thousands and thousands of photographs of, of mountain ranges, and then they turn it sideways and, and it looks like a, a Titan that's lying on its back. And, uh, you know, some may be Titans. There, there was a, a mountain in Ojai, my hometown, which is close to Santa Barbara, called Chief's Peak. And I used to fly around it in the hang glider and circle the nose and and I got to see that thing up close and it, it looks like an Indian chief laying on its back. There's no doubt about it. Um, so if that were true, then there ought to be a way to investigate it and, and to look into it in more detail. You know, there, there should be sockets where the eyes were, there might be canals for the ear, that sort of thing. And that's, that's really how people should be approaching it instead what we're getting is lots of photographs taken from one angle where the shadows hit it just right and people are running with that and thinking it's you know 100 proof that that they're actually looking at a titan and i, I would say the chances are in, in many of the, those cases that it's it's far more likely that what they're looking at is a tight the remains of a titanic tree because <laughs> i think they were far more prevalent than than titans you know um geology that you know just the same as medicine it's built on a mechanistic model and uh you really lose the forest through the trees uh you know with that kind of approach Goethe and steiner um and there's a book uh written by ernst lairs who kind of detailed out their work but uh it's a little bit too much to get in here but the point is is that geology as medicine can be looked at in an entirely different way. For instance, they looked at the fact that we're dealing with living sentience, you know, when we're talking about 
volcanoes and mountains and minerals and, and that sort of thing. They also uh, saw it through simple observation as uh, uh, dual polarities of the same phenomena. For instance, uh, they made a great case how something like volcanism versus snowfall are two opposite polarities of the same phenomena. So it's I, I was just kind of curious if, if you ever got into the, any of that work, and but we'll get right back into more of our subject matter. But it does lend a lot of insight into how a lot of the phenomena that you speak on could actually come to be. And it's also... Um, well, I'll, I'll just leave it at there. So uh, I've looked I think into it, Steiner. It, it tells uh, us about the nature of our whole realm is what it does. And I, you know, we're yeah. big on, you know, you have to know how things work. Then that explains what the heck we're living on here in the first <laughs> place and what's going on. So, uh, right. yeah, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I've looked into Steiner a bit. I've listened to several lectures and I was particularly interested in what he had to say about the heart because uh, some of my work oh, right. with biogeology unexpectedly led me back into the, the heart and the true nature of the heart. And uh, so I've done a number of videos on that subject because uh, Steiner was ahead of Francisco Torrent Gross when it came to understanding the true nature of how the heart functions. And so this ties into things like vortex uh you know what do you what would you say vortex theory it's not theory vortex fact <laughs> you know the 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 spiral flow of of everything and uh ties into the work of schauberger and and uh, so one of the things steiner said and i can't even remember the first two he said if you really want to wake up to the true nature of our reality there there are three things you need to know and i i don't remember the first two <laughs> but the third one was that the heart is not a pump and uh, so that that ties into this, this great discovery of, of a man, a Spanish cardiologist named Francisco Torrent Guas. Um, but as far as his his take on the nature of our realm and and things like the potential existence of Titans and all that, his stuff is so far out. And I don't have an encyclopedic memory of, of the things that he's talked about. But the the ancient civilizations, the the North American Indians, the, you know, the Lakota, the Hopi, they, they, they have a base understanding that the, the rocks were the ancestors. And even the Bible talks about the rocks shall cry out and that, that, you know, things were turned to stone and they're basically being held for, you know, when judgment happens or after judgment, and then they'll be freed. And so there's this understanding that the rocks uh maybe they're not sentient now but they were definitely once upon a time and um i think that is a, a much safer uh starting base for understanding geology than what we're told about heliocentrism and all of these fantastical numbers of 16.2 billion years lifespan of the universe and the earth is 4.6 billion and we we know that 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 petrified wood is 300 million years old and but it makes me it's think just a have joke you, have you seen the noah movie the aaron um directed by darren aronofsky uh where um before the flood there were like these rock creatures walking around and the, the he he represents those as sort of i don't know if they're supposed to be like nephilim or fallen angels or something uh, but that was i always found that really interesting they had like these rock creatures that would walk around I don't remember if I've seen that one or not, but there's a there's an interesting music video by Pink Floyd called Mud Men from the 70s. 
And it's all about these people that are living on the body of a Titan and this Titan is walking around and it's the trippy Pink Floyd music. And then, mm -hmm. and they're just like hanging on for dear life. And then at some point it gets tired of walking and it, it lays down and it's like, boom, and it's earthquakes. And then, and then they, uh, you know, and then everything settles as, as the, the Titan falls asleep. And I'm just like, they're, they're just telling us right there in plain sight, you know, literally how it, how it used to be <laughs> literally rock and roll there. Um, uh, you know, speaking of Steiner, I was, I've always been fascinated with his concept of the mystery of Golgotha, which he talks about when the Christ's blood touches onto the, the ground and how that initiates the new age. And I think what's beautiful about Steiner is he's able to tie in this holistic notion of the, of the realm and the world and how everything's interconnected. And I think this can tie into these concepts of ley lines and BG3 with biogeometry and why we had these large trees to begin with. They were the neural network or the sort of biosphere, um, sort of how the, the human body has our, our own, you know, biological Stalker system. Yeah. Meridians. Meridian system. Mm. The world used to have that and it was cut off for some reason. And this can get into the Tartaria concept of, you know, what happened with the mud floods or whatever, but I think we're all starting to really uncover this again. And that's why this research is exciting because it's just one more puzzle piece to um, fit into this overall <clears throat> cosmology that we're all figuring out right now. Yeah, it's it's super exciting time because it really is the uh, apocalypse. It's the the unveiling, which is the real meaning of that word. The, the trees, I think a lot of the ancient uh, cities are built on former trees the the stumps you know appear to be a very real thing everyone is debating about devil's tower and whether you know th these hexagonal columns are really from tree or not and and uh there there's so many examples around the world that are coming out more and more photographs all the time as people wake up to this they're like oh this spot and out out in some random country and you're just like wow and it's so so obvious that that the mainstream narrative of, of cooling lava, which is literally where they're telling us these hexagonal columns have come from, to me, it's laughable. Uh, and I started to say the same thing about petrified wood a moment ago, which I'll come back to. But um, the, the the basic story, and they can't even agree on how that took place. There's like four different mainstream theories on how this lava jutted upward and then cooled in such a fashion that it just magically became these perfect hexagonal columns. Um, I'm not attached to the, the, the stumps being trees. I'm, I was never certain about it. I saw something about seven years ago, the, the no forests on earth video that was, oh, yeah. that was circulating. Uh, and I thought, wow, that's, that's really fascinating. And that was before I even got into any of my research, uh, here in Spain. Um, and, but it, it just opened my eyes to the possibility that, you know, megaflora, megafauna, they're accepted in the mainstream narrative. You know, they talk about dragonflies that were a meter long <laughs> in, in the fossil record, apparently. And, and so the megaflora megafauna is indisputed, but the question is how big did things get? And then they tell us that it's impossible that there could have been titanic trees or titanic beings because of the square, square cube law of gravity, that, that things get so big and their mass would be so great and the gravitational pull towards the center of the earth would be so great that it would collapse under its own weight and its bones could not possibly support that kind of weight. Well, that whole narrative goes right out the window when you find out that gravity itself is a bunch of bull and is hotly disputed and it's still the theory of gravity. And 
and that the electrostatic force is ordered many, many orders of magnitude stronger than the supposed gravitational pull. I was just um, going to say, you look at a bumblebee, they defy gravity every day. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. There's so many, there's so many examples that, you know, that, and, and this just the less electrostatic force and uh, it, it's, it's fantastic to, you know, what, what is being discovered. And, and uh, so it, the gravity and, and, and space dust coming together and pounding into perfect spheres and, staying in these orbits that never seem to degrade and you know i mean it's just like there's so much that you just have to buy uh you know you just have to swallow it and accept it and but because we 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 were blinded by our paradigm we never thought to question the the, the fundamentals we figured people were always always discovering little new things along the way and there were these major discoveries but the biggest discovery that that we grew up believing in was was the theory of relativity uh from from einstein which literally warped our whole perception of everything and everything became relative you know and so i think things that there's a lot more that's concrete that we can that we can look at and we could examine and we can point to and i started to talk about limestone before because the limestone here in this area is like <clears throat> these massive blocks with these Swiss cheese holes going through it, right? And and there's no sign whatsoever of any shells or mollusks or or skeletons in these in these stones. And and not only that, but the channels that are going through the stones, because my first thought is okay, these must have been formed by some kind of water flow or something. Like, you know, how is this, how is this coming about? Uh, the mainstream model is that you get this karshed limestone where the mineral waters are hitting the limestone from above and it's creating these little rivulets and then that goes through and it and it and it slowly eats away and dissolves the the, the minerals in the limestone. But when you see these stones that are up here on 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 the plateau and the mountain Mont Go that I've examined in in great detail, it's laughable because what you have are fractal channels. You have perfectly smooth channels that aren't like partially formed. They're just, they're going through and they're curving water curves. Okay, fine. But then those channels are breaking off just like blood vessels into smaller and smaller channels. How does that happen with, with some kind of water erosion in, in stone? It doesn't make any sense. And then there's no sign of any, any shellfish or coral or mollusk or anything. So so I decided to go out there with the microscope and look at it. And I got, you know, now you can get these 1000 X microscopes for 50 bucks online that, that are Wi-Fi and you can look at it on your phone instead of squinting and ruining your eyes on a microscope. And I got up there with a thousand X and there is no sign whatsoever of any shell mollusk or, or skeleton or coral. So how did it form that? Right. It's, it's a conundrum. And that, that ties into my theory of titanology or biogeology is that that's actually bone. If you if you were to pulverize it, it's got the same chemical constitution as as our bone, right? Mainstream geology is telling us that limestone is made of bone, flat out. But they're not telling us that it might be the bone of titans, <laughs> right? They're they're saying it's bone. It's and, and then they say it's made of all these different things that are compressed together for hundreds of millions of years. But that calcium carbonate or whatever the the composition is, that's you know that's how they're telling us it's formed, but there's no trace of it with the thousand X microscope. There ought to be some trace left 
if that was true. There's no hint of a fossil in this limestone. So that tied in perfectly to my theories because those channels were also filled with red earth and all kinds of crystal and iron ore, which, which ties in with bone. If you look at, you've got compact bone, which is the hard part of the outer portion of the bone. And then in the, in the central portion of the bone, you have trabecular bone, which looks like Swiss cheese. And that's where our, our blood is formed. That's where our plasma our blood plasma and, and, you know, the stem cells are there. And, and when you look at photographs of, of the, the, the cross section of bone, and you look at this interior portion of the trabecular bone, it's identical to these stones. And then you've got the red earth and the iron ore, which would be your iron that's in the red blood cells. And you've got all kinds of quartz, which would be your plasma, your blood plasma. And I, if, if you take human blood plasma and you, or, or you take blood and you put it in a centrifuge and you separate the red blood cells from the plasma, and then you take all of the water out of the plasma, what you're left with is crystal. It's long chain fatty acids. And you can, I've got a picture in several of my videos of, it's just a bottle of human serum albumin, which is, which is the, the long chain fatty acids with all the water removed. It looks like quartz crystal flakes, right? So it, there's all of this stuff that, and this gets back to what you were saying before of star forts and, and trees and all this stuff is like, it, they all sound like these harebrained, crazy conspiracy theories. But yet, when you look at our history, our mythology, the religious texts, observable reality, all of a sudden, everything starts to dovetail. And, and it makes a whole lot of sense. And, and that was what I was finding with, with my investigations of this, this mountain here in, here in Javier, where I live. Um, yeah, I know. I've been talking for a while. Well, crystallization, <laughs> crystallization is a natural endpoint for all of uh, matter and life that precipitates in this so-called physicality in the first place. So, uh, mm. yeah, very understandable, actually. So uh, do you have some uh, pictures and things you can share yeah. with us today? Could I ask sure. one question, too, mm -hmm. just to clarify something? When you say Titan... Are you literally relating to the Greek mythos around the Titans? Is this just curious what your cosmology is around when you say the word Titan? Yeah, I'm not attached to a cosmology, but but the idea that that there were these Titanic beings that I mean, we have so many stories. We have we have parables. We have Paul Bunyan. We have the the battle of between the leviathan and the behemoth which is in greek mythology you have perseus holding up the head of medusa which i think is just a representation of plasma storm because plasma petrification is, is just a fact um and I'll, I'll i'll touch on that in a little bit let me it's interesting because our friend chance garden would say that these are all parables or analogies around the sky clock right and what we see in the stars um Dracos, the you know the fighting the the large dragons is what they see in the stars but also you could flip that around and say that is the representation the stars are what's going on down here as above so below everything's fractal right everything's right. back and forth and yeah. there's this channel called mud fossils and i know we've talked about it I've, I've, i know you're very familiar with it and have had engagement with the gentleman who's started it and he comes from a more, I guess, classical concept of how this fossilization can happen in a way, but has 
was one of the original first person I ever saw on YouTube or online to put forth this theory of these gigantic fossilized dragons and stuff that we're talking yeah. about like hundreds of miles long <laughs> in Africa. A thousand. Yeah. Thousands. Of yes. Miles long. So, yeah. So this is the same guy that, that, you know, mud fossil university is talking about mud fossil theory that I was discussing before. Um, and I watched a number of videos from him and that was where I originally got the, the notion that, wow, maybe what we were told about petrification fossilization isn't accurate and it can all happen far, far quicker than we ever imagined. And that was a big eye opener for me as a possibility because all of a sudden now some of the biological looking stone that I've seen throughout my life makes a lot more sense if that's possible. If we're talking about something that can happen in a matter of months or, or years rather than hundreds of millions of years, because what, what they tell us is that, for example, soft tissue can't petrify uh, like or internal organs and whatnot. Because uh, as, as things are decaying, long before they would ever petrify, the bacteria and the larvae have come along and eaten up all the soft tissue. And, all, and that's why all we find are the skeletons, right? And that's the mainstream notion. Um, but if, if there is this possibility of soft tissue to petrify, that, that, that's a total game changer. Um, and, you know, it happening quickly is, is, is another one, but Roger started getting on, you know, he, every third video he does is about this dragon in the Sahara. Uh, and it's, it's battling, uh, I can't remember which one is the Leviathan and which one is the behemoth, but these are spoken of in, in ancient Greek texts. And actually they describe this battle taking place in Africa, in that location. And so I thought it was kind of interesting. First of all, when he's going in, he's looking at this dragon attacking a fish and he's zooming in on Google Earth on all these different parts. It, it, it appears to be anatomical structures. And when you try and imagine some random petrogenesis uh, forming these, these structures, it's, it's very difficult to imagine. Right. The, the, the mainstream narrative for this complexity that we're seeing. Now, a lot of things can be formed through through plasma, through electricity great complexity so it's not out of the or you know out of the realm of possibility it could have been a, a a mega flashpoint event of some sort yeah that, and i think that's what when we the myths of cthulhu of of medusa with her snake you know her snake hair and and eyes that turn anything to stone um what else you've got you've got the the the, the blue star kachina of the hopi there's Every culture, not only does every culture have its flood myths, but we have our dragon myths and dragon may just be a metaphor also for some kind of a plasma apocalypse sort of thing. That's what J dreamers calls it. Other people have called it MCO, which is the electromagnetic plasma changeover event. That was one term. Uh, archaics, Jason, you've had him on a, your show a, a couple of few times. He's, he talks about the Phoenix event. So, I mean, this is, this is well known that this happens. And, and what are the effects of that? Probably petrification and worldwide catastrophe and destruction and mud floods and all, you know, all these things. It's like, hmm, makes sense. And, and uh, so, um, yeah. And then, and then even in the mainstream model, the scientific narrative, when it comes to things like petrified wood, there are guys petrifying wood in days in laboratories. You know, there's, there's a, I could I can bring it up right here as a first thing to you want me to share some stuff on on screen can 
Yeah, yeah that'd be amazing. Do some visuals for um for what we're talking about here. Um yeah, and if you see. have that visual of the of North African uh plane or the the, the top topographic shot of that Leviathan um image, because yeah. it is quite insane. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll pull up I'll pull up Google Earth. I can just show you uh on Google Earth. But the challenge I had with it with it um is he was he was vehemently anti-flat earth. And that's fine. I don't care if you don't want to believe the earth is flat. I don't know what the shape is ultimately. But he's a he's a big time baller and he's a big NASA fan, which I think is is a mistake because there's it's so obviously, you know, faked just about everything they do. He's also a yeah. virus fan. A virus yeah. fan. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of there's mainstream a lot of uh, going things that don't make down. sense. Like if the the Earth, we're told in the mainstream heliocentric model, is 24,901 miles in circumference. And if you've got a 1,000 mile long dragon on something that big, how does how does that work? <laughs> you see my screen? Well, I was going to say that the flat Earth, the realm model, the, and even the infinite realm sort of reality structure of a sort of a you know, uh, you could, you call it all sort of holographic universe or whatever, and, or even just the kind of more mainstream flat earth model where we've, we've got this one section where we've got Antarctica the ice, the, the water wall, keeping the oceans in. And then beyond that is God knows what that could explain how we are in just this tiny little section on a, on a much larger realm where these massive beasts could be flying over and have lots hmm. of space. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I, the, um, let's see. Do you see my screen there? Do you see that mountain? Yes. So that that's a mountain here where I live. That's called Mont Go. So after getting on on to the whole mud fossil thing and and Titans and Jay Dreamer did a video called um, Petrified Titans where he was kind of synthesizing the work of Roger, looking at mythology, looking at all of these different things that we're talking about now and showing a bunch of pictures and a couple of the pictures that he showed were of these formations that looked very, very much like giant elephants that were made of stone, one in Hawaii, another in Iceland. And I saw those and I, and that was just where I went, wait a minute, this is just too weird because this, this mountain is, it's called Mont Go, but it's also known affectionately as the elephant. And most people can, can see why this being the eye. And then there's the sloping downward of, of what would be the, the, the skull of the, the elephant. Um, and so that was kind of how this whole thing began. I, I, I was looking into this for a couple of years before I ever, or, or about a year before I made my first video and, uh, and Rogers, Rogers video, you can see Google earth here, right? You can, yeah, yep, you guys yep. are muted. Okay. See it. Um, yeah, so this is what he was talking about here. So here we have the Strait of Gibraltar. I'm over right here on this point. That elephant that you just saw is right where the hand is. I'll zoom in there in a second. But this is this is the the dragon that uh, he talks about. I guess these are legs hanging down. It's like a plume serpent. This is the tail coming coming down, and then this is is said to be this big fish. And as you zoom in, it's got kind of looks like scales and stuff. And, you know, I, I was I was taking this all with a grain of salt, but I figured, OK, I, you know, I'll, I'll give every day, every idea. It's it's stay in the sun um, and uh, keep an open mind. And it was it was fun to listen to. He's got he's got a nice delivery. Um, but this is 
this is what I was talking about, like the plume serpent. If you think of a, a Chinese dragon, these, to, this, these would be like the feathers coming off the backside. And here is, I think that's the eye there. And there's like a whole gullet here that comes down. And it's, uh, it, it is apparently spewing out some kind of toxic something or other and attacking attacking this fish so this would be the spew and it's it's attacking this the fin of the fish you know it's pretty far-fetched but from here to here is a thousand miles so going back to oh no sorry from here to here is is a thousand miles we can measure it sorry that's um if you can hear that sound that's a a um awning that's being drawn in from a restaurant below yeah, so so roughly a thousand miles uh, from end to end uh, on this this potential dragon, and um, so and again, you know, the mythology talks about this battle between these great beings happening here. the The challenge I have is this: if you if you're looking at at something that's twenty four thousand miles, how is that thing going to fly? How you know it's going to take some steps and it's going to go around the Earth and be right back where it started. How does this fish, which appears to be laying on its side, swim in an ocean that is, you know, nowhere near deep enough to, to accommodate it? There's a whole lot of problems I have with it, unless the Earth was once far, far bigger than, than we thought, and it's not a spinning ball. But every time somebody tries to suggest that to, to Roger, he, he flips out and he bans them. And, uh, you know, he <laughs> won't he won't uh, he won't begin to entertain the possibility that NASA might be full of bull because so much of his own personal cosmology and his studies into light and, and, and his, his theories that the whole universe is made of Titanic body parts. And that when we're looking at asteroids and, and different things, it's that NASA has supposedly landed their rovers on and taken photographs of, uh, you know, for us that he's, he's a hundred percent certain that those are, those are body parts. And that gets into, to me, to pareidolia, where he's seeing things, he knows what something looks like from a, from an anatom anatomical or histological perspective. And, uh, you know, is kind of going off the deep end and just believing whatever he's seeing from NASA. So, um, yeah, anyway, and this is, this is where I'm at here. This is, this is, so I, I decided to, to just look into this, initially one afternoon after watching um after watching jay dreamer's video and i i was immediately taken by the the fact that you know from the side you've got that shape you have an eye socket right where it right where it should be um and then this plateau comes down almost looks like a a trunk there and uh i thought wow that's that's a little bit more than one angle pareidolia with the shadows hitting it just right so I got on Google Earth and I started looking at it and I and I noticed that right where the head would meet the the back that there's a there's a curved cutout here there's another one there and uh and then it almost looks like a spine and you can see the the faint hint from both sides of what looks like a rib cage So now we're getting into like advanced pareidolia right <laughs> because what is that? Half a dozen different things that I that I've mentioned, and then right here between where the legs would be, there's a deep split. There's a there's a canyon right there. So already from from the beginning, I was like, this is just too weird because 
were after a couple of hours on Google Earth, I had I had ten different anatomical features on the macro level, and uh, and then as I later got into it, I, I wondered, well, if the eye is is so well preserved, notice how the eye is closed here. <laughs> Didn't used to be that way. If you get in really close, you got to get in really close now. Wow. It's not opening at all. That's hilarious. It's never done this before. So you're saying the Google Earth isn't rendering it. There it goes. Super slow. That used to be fast. I could go out, in and out. There we go. So it didn't used to look like this. In my first three videos, called, uh, I did a series called Unveiling a Titan. In my first three videos on the subject, um, this blurriness along the side of the mountain wasn't there. Uh, the first video I made was just an overview. Anyone who watch, uh, wants to watch that series can just skip the first one because you've already gotten an overview. Go straight into the second one, which is all about the eye socket. Third one is about the ear. Fourth one is about the histology of the mountain, which we've touched on a little bit, which is the limestone and all the on-site investigation that I've done and how that matches perfectly with what you would expect to find of a creature that's roughly three miles long that when, when you're looking at the remains of its bones. Um, but the, the geologists who examine this mountain, they, they say that this portion of the mountain has collapsed. So if you're wondering where the other eye is, it's under all of this rubble. So the eye and the ear, this whole section, and you can see it more clearly from above that, that uh, it almost looks like this once continued around. So what kind of rock is this? It, it's all limestone. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's, it's like, I can show you some of these um, photographs here. Let's see. It's interesting where we are. We have a lot of serp. It's all serpentine and they call it serpentine and it literally looks reptilian, you know, like reptile scales. Uh, has mm -hmm. my mind kind of thinking now <laughs> about the nature of this rock here, which is uh, uh, everywhere and makes our river so beautiful. It's a it's a metamorphic rock, so it's been through some deep heat coming back up. It doesn't mean it originally didn't start as some sort of um, uh, who God knows what, some huge dragon reptilian scales or something. Yeah, it's it's fun to ponder these things. I think uh, too many people are too quick to jump to certainty. I've in the in the in the years that I've been looking at this mountain and investigating it, I've cataloged upwards over fifty anatomical correlations, anatomical and histological. So you've got these macro correlations, but then like just in the eye socket alone, because this is this is the thing I didn't want to just jump off the deep end with with loony ideas. But here's a here's a better actual picture of the of the come on there that's where you want to be so you can see that that um it's it's very unusual shape right if, if you look at an elephant skull it it matches perfectly this this bump this protrusion here the this in inner cave try and imagine this forming through some kind of sedimentary layering and then and then the, the mainstream story is that it's it's been pushed up through tectonic activity and then you know, that's how this mountain came into existence. And it's kind of strange when you think about it from above or, or look at it from the side. 
it's sitting all by itself here. So it's just like pushed up, <laughs> you know, and it's, uh, it's a, it, this is a, for, for a lot of people, this is a real far fetched, uh, idea. And I understand that. And, uh, so what I did is I, I came back after that first evening, because I'd been up at this eye a bunch of times at, at, at the, at the, um, where is it? I'd been up, I'd hiked up to here probably six, seven times beforehand. And I was always marveling at how unusual the structures were up here and wondered how could these have possibly formed. And that was long before I, I got on this subject. But when I was looking on Google Earth, I was immediately taken by this, this point here, which is a cave that goes from this eye cave through here. And if you look on Google Earth, you can you can see that this is uh in invertebrates we have what's known as the infraorbital foramen and in humans it's right below the middle of the eye but in elephants it's it's close to the nose and if you tip upward like that which is how how the mountain appears to be laying then you um you would have that in front okay i wasn't I wasn't prepared to go into a full presentation and I apologize, but, uh, Oh no, that's okay. Me... I think this type of information, having the visuals is super important, but Mike, it would be great if you could go a little bit more into detail on your process, because as you were saying before, a lot of these, you know, YouTube channels that are just sort of trying to find the giant trees and the giant, you know, um, fossils and stuff kind of suffer from, uh, pareidolia where you are, um, trying to go the next step in terms of having a more science, quote unquote, scientific um, uh, process to uh, further the hypothesis here. Yeah, well, that was exactly what I did, because after 10 years of university, I, I wasn't interested in, you know, making myself look like a fool by championing an idea that was about as far fetched as as you can imagine. I mean, David Weiss, after seeing my videos, he was like, this is, this is, uh, this is more unsettling or more, more disturbing than flat earth when you, when you start to get into it. Um, and, and he's right about that because all of a sudden now it's not looking at the, looking off at the horizon and realizing that the boat is not going over the horizon. It's actually disappearing into the, you know, our, the angular resolution is too small for us to recognize this is this is every rock all around you and he's like i hate you now i can't even now i can't even trust a rock you know <laughs> after after he watched watch these videos so what i did is i got out my anatomy books because in general skulls have uh more or less the same morphology so we have something like what is it 26 bones bear i can't remember exactly how many in this in the human skull something like that yeah and and they even though skulls vary dramatically uh, the shape of them here, I'll, I'll just pull up a couple. I mean, they, they, they vary dramatically when it, when it comes to species. Uh, this is one, this is a woolly mammoth here. And this is another kind of elephant. That's a very different look when it comes to, uh, the, the shape of the, the skull. Um, this is a, a bear for you, bear. Right. And here's that, here's that, oh, um, uh, 
in, infraorbital foramen that I was talking about on a bear. Um, and wait a minute, it's jumping out of order. So it's there on an elephant. So this is what's known as the temporal fossa, which is the, the one of the two chewing muscles goes goes down and it connects to the jaw. And then the eye socket is in front of that here. You can actually zoom in, that will help. So I immediately just started thinking about it from an anatomical perspective because that, that cave was so unusual. I figured if there was any truth to this, this harebrained idea at all, then I should be able to, to verify it. Now, these, these might appear as cracks, but these are known as sutures. So all of the bones meet together in these lines. You know, the frontal bone meets the maxilla in a line that actually goes right through the eye socket. So there's a line that goes straight back right there. And so I knew about these things and I got out my anatomy books and then I got online to different 3D rendering software programs so that I could actually get inside the eye socket in the, in the software and look around and see what I would expect to see if I were inside of an eye. And um, so I had a list of probably 10 or 12 different things that I would expect to find if there was any truth to this idea before I went up to the eye again. So I went up to the eye looking with, with new eyes. And um, let me show you some of these things that, that this is what I was talking about before. So in the eye, that's not a very clear picture. Let me find a better one. Yeah, so this will give a better idea. This is obviously human. But these these fissures here, this big one here is where the optic nerve goes. Then then these these fissures lead back down into the sinuses, which are behind and below. You have the infraorbital foramen, and these different colors are showing these suture, these meeting points. And those those are the same on on an elephant. Like for example, if you look here, you've got these sutures inside. So I had, and then I found. Uh, footage online of an elephant skeleton in 4k where they were they were going around the elephant like this so i was able to see an elephant eye socket from all of these different angles and when i started to um, compare what i was what what i was seeing in the in the programs with getting up into the eye it was uh, astonishing like for example this one here this is this is the orbital uh, the uh, optic fissure where the optic nerve goes, and right in the exact same portion of the cave, you got this. Wow, <laughs> that that was quite a coincidence, right? And then um, if you look at this skeleton here, the eye would be here, and then this this line here that that does this little jogging um, is wait a minute, let me find it. There's that one. Here we go. So this this line here is that suture between the frontal and the maxilla bones. And this is what it looks like in that exact same spot in the cave. Wow. So now, now we're getting to really, really unusual specific coincidences. And you guys 
are s- smart enough to to know that when it's either a really really advanced form of apophenia or pareidolia, or we're looking at something that is kind of defying odds. So how how long does that list have to get of specifics before it's just a, you know it's just a given? I don't know. That depends on who you talk to. For some people, no li- no no list would be long enough, right? Because they're just gonna they're going to believe what the mainstream says. Um, like, for example, uh, I was talking about that. Uh, here, let me show you this first. So th- this is this is not a photograph. This is taken on Google Earth before they did the the blurring out. Um, but this this comes through. This is where that that infraorbital foreman would be because I said it's closer to the, the nose and the head is tilted back. And then this is looking at it from, from below. It's going through this way to the right. That's looking through it. And I have a hard time imagining that this was formed through some kind of water erosion. <laughs> and then this is looking at the far end. So it there's it, just way too much lining up for it to be chance, in my opinion. But but it might just be some cosmic joke that's been played on me. I yeah. don't know. Um, and then you know this is the, like I said they they edited the mountain. So in the first videos, especially the second video, I was using Google Earth as as a drone essentially because I was coming in from very far away, like this. I'll show you. In, I was like, I wanted to get some footage just coming in from from far away like this. And you can see from here, the eye is open. <laughs> you can see it open from all the way over here. Until you get in mm-hmm. close to it, there, it starts to close there. You see that? <laughs> Didn't used to do that. It's winking at you. It's winking at me. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So... Oh. That was wild. Um, I cataloged on that first trip up to the eye, I cataloged 10 anatomical features. So I had the the macro features, then I had the eye features. Um, and then later, uh, I went up there with Andreas Exertus. You guys, uh, I actually Andreas discovered... is actually the one who first told us about you. Yeah, I, I discovered you guys through him because you interviewed him, I don't know, two or three years ago. Um, and that was how I found your channel. And I loved it ever since I've been watching. Yeah. Um, but I, I took him and a, another guy named Victor Bouguet up, up there. And we were just looking at, at these features together. And um, while we were up there, one of them noticed that the, the whole backside, if you look here, this section here juts upward and you can get up behind up in here and you can climb up on this and you look out on the most incredible view but i had already theorized that this was the remains of the eyeball and i didn't know how to verify that but it had different channels going into it that looked very much like blood vessels and um but while we were up there one of the two of them i don't remember who it was noticed that there was this thick this thick crystalline layer that was that was on the entire backside of this thing 
can see it better here. So this is one kind of rock down here. And all of this, this whole thing is quartz crystal. And you can see it better from the side here. So this is a quartz crystal layer that's covering the entire backside of, of that, that part that's jutting upward. And my thought when I saw that, before I saw the crystal, I knew about the crystal, was uh, I was already thinking of the anatomy of the eye. And we have the sclera, you know, this, this, um, this white, the white of the eye is, is made of fat. And it, this is kind of a gross picture, but um, it's, it's got the vitreous humor. Here we go. This is a better one. This is it. So this is the cross section of the eye and it's got all of this fatty material. And then the optic nerve comes straight out the back. And I had already theorized from, from other videos that I'd done and looking at in general that all things fat petrified to quartz of varying types. And so I, I thought when they showed me this backside, I immediately thought of the sclera. This is what an eyeball looks when it's removed, looks like. And so that that part that's sticking up, the whole backside is covered with quartz. So that that was just another thing that was fitting in with with the uh, the theories. If we look at the structure of the eye, you've got this optic nerve uh, going back, and then this drops down, and this goes into the sinuses. This is obviously human, but it's the same same idea with the elephant. And there's actually a cave behind the the main eye cave. There are all these there are all these um, sections going downward Let's see here so the i these fissures like i was showing here <clears throat> these if you look at them in the anatomy in 3d they they angle downward at like 40 45 degrees and in that section of the of the cave <laughs> there it goes angling downward and then there's a section you go down here and you we crawled through these this like four meter five meter tunnel it's, it's not very big and when you get in there it opens up into another cavern so i've got that footage in in the second and the the fifth unveiling of titan videos this is what the entrance looks like it's kind of kind of creepy i'm not big on spelunking but uh, if you have you guys seen anything from the action adventure twins yet? Mm -mm. I have. These, these guys are going. They, they've got a big channel. It's got like six hundred thousand subs, and they're they're going into the craziest places you've you've ever seen. And they're spelunking down like thousands of feet in some cases. So they'll they'll go down. The rope is only long enough for five hundred feet, but they're able to 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 hit the ground, and then they start going through these channels. And then there's another drop off that goes down even further. It's absolutely nuts, but the, the amazing thing about what they're showing with their footage is it looks exactly like the inside of what you would expect a giant tree to look like. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I've got a bunch of footage of that. So, yeah. Um, and then I started theorizing that if there's, if there's, um, if there's an eye, then, then maybe that side of the mountain, which is so well-preserved, maybe there there might be an ear and then i i was looking at 
at Google Earth and I noticed that there's this like this quarter moon discoloration. And if you notice where all the limestone is removed, if you think about the compact bone and the trabecular bone, everywhere that the the, the outer layer of, of the stone is is gone and is broken off, it's red on the inside. And, and when you get up close, there's all these channels going into it. And then you find reddish earth and, and the crystal and it, it's all there. But what I didn't know is that there's a cave right there. <laughs> and I found that out in, in just the most bizarre way, which was... Um... <laughs> Man, that looks like an elephant to me now. <laughs> it's like, it's Check this so out wild, right, right here. There's that... Oh, it's, let me get away a little further. See the, See how it curves around there? That's right where the head would meet the, the shoulder. And then it does the same thing on that side. <laughs> it is. This is such wow. a trip, Mike. I want to keep moving on. Um, I, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you got to see the series. I go in depth and I, sh I don't make any claims without just showing, showing the evidence and you can decide for yourself whether or not there's anything to it. But yeah. Let's well, can, can we, there's on. something to it. It's pretty uncanny. Um, yeah. Just, just amazing. Uh, so Mike, you're gonna, I was just going to ask if we could touch it, touch on the hearts, um, phenomenon, because oh, yeah. that was the first thing that I really, uh, remember about from your channel was you're finding all of these, um, look like petrified, large hearts everywhere. Uh, not, yeah. and I'm not saying like just a basic heart shape, like, you know, you would get on a Valentine's day card. I'm talking a literal organ heart organ. Yeah. Um, I'll I just want to show you this real quick and then I'll, I'll get onto that. This is just the coincidence list, uh, on the mountain. And then that's part wow. two. And then the last is that, that I, I, I think it's censorship because it, it's pretty odd that just those specific portions of the mountain that I had made videos about, uh, were, were blurred out, but who knows, maybe it's just some weird rendering glitch. Um, yeah. So what you're talking about is after I, after I got into this whole thing, I figured, okay, I don't know anything about anything when it comes to geology. I, I I'm just going to look at what's around me and see if I can make sense of things. And at one point I asked for, uh, some confirmation, give me, give me an undeniable, I was still calling them mud fossils at that point, something that, that I is just obvious what it is. And a few days later, I found this stone and I picked it up in a river bottom and I started looking at it and I was like, wait a minute, this looks like a giant heart. It's about four times the size of my fist in length. So uh, our, our hearts are about the size of our fist. So imagine something four times the size of a human or even a little bigger, could be a cow or, or you know, an elephant or a giraffe or something like that. But I noticed that the whole outer portion of the, of the, of the stone was covered in white. This is a gruesome picture. I'll just warn people right here in advance, but the heart sits inside the chest cavity and it's surrounded in a fatty layer that's called the pericardium. And the pericardium is the, um, the toughest of the fatty layers that, that surrounds the, the organs. All of the organs have them. We have fascia that, that goes all throughout our body. Every muscle is is covered in fascia. And then every smaller part of every smaller part of every smaller part. It's totally fractal in nature. And the organs themselves 
are covered in these thick fatty layers and that the heart has the thickest of them. And so when I was looking at this stone, I noticed that that everywhere that it was worn away, it was it was dark red underneath. And if you put this under under water, it starts to look like it's bloody. And this is the backside. And I and I realized that, wow, this is exactly where the aorta and the vena cava would be. And there were chambers inside the thing. And 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 then going back to the this other other one here. This this is like a what they call the the coronary sulcus. And and if you if you look here again at this one I showed before. The coronary artery goes along this and then there's this big fatty portion that a lot of hearts have. And that was exactly what I was seeing there. And so I thought I've got to I've got to bring this thing back. And I and I brought it back and I started looking at the anatomy books. And that that led to a whole other giant rabbit hole because I after cataloging what I had found on this rock and I bought an endoscopic camera so I could go in and look at the chambers from the inside and the inside of the, of the heart's chambers. It's not smooth like you would expect it to be where, you know, it's something that the, the blood can smoothly flow through it. It has what's known as trabecula carne. There's that word trabecula again, trabecular bone, trabecula. And it's this, this bumpy surface and inside the, the, um, the heart itself, I mean, the, the stone itself, I could see that it had this bumpy surface. It didn't look like something that was formed through any kind of water erosion. And I, and I looked at these bumps that were sticking up and I'm like, is that the remains of the papillary muscles where you've got these, these muscles that are contracting in order to open the valves. So this, this portion here is what would be known as the isthmus, which is between the, the, um, the openings of the, the, uh, the pulmonary arteries. So already with, with just an evening of, of looking at this thing up close, there was a good 10, 15 different anatomical features. So that got me thinking maybe there are others. And I, and I started to recognize that there was this reoccurring pattern in the stones. Wow. I got a major storm happening here. I can show it here. Let me, let me just stop sharing because then I can show with a bigger screen. So I, I started to notice that a lot of the stones have this heart shape where it tapers in on the sides. The bottom oftentimes will have a, a twist to it. The top will have either openings or indentations or creases. So if the, if the aorta has pinched off, where the vena cava have pinched off, off, you would get a crease. If it remained open, you would you would have an opening there when when the petrification occurred. But but you have this this reoccurring shape that that happens over and over again that just doesn't make any sense from what we're told about how this would form. This particular one has a fleshy color. If you put it underwater, it turns red. Again, you've got these 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 creases indentations here and then both the front and the back have what are known as sulcus lines so this gets into the work of francisco torrent guasp right where where you've got um this guy discovered that that the heart is essentially a rope that 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 unravels and 
and I didn't know anything about this until I started making videos on these heart stones. I can show you these all day long. I've got them in all sizes from, from tiny. And then the bottom, that twist, see the twist on both sides? Both of those have that. So that's like a propeller twist, right? The spiral contraction of the heart because it's vortexual, but also, so not only is there a vortexual flow to the blood through the heart, got these opposite rotating vortexes, but you have also a spiral contraction to the heart. And, and so if there's any truth to what I'm showing here, here's another one. Again, you've got sulcus lines. You've got this, this twisting at the bottom. I mean, these are very, very specific features. If I gave you a list of a bunch of random features and told you to go out and find a rock that had these features, it, it might take you a long time to find one. But I can go out and find, I can find these over and over again. I've done it live in videos where they're, they're all different sizes. You get this have knife tried, edge. Have you tried smashing in the open to see if you can see the heart valves? And Yeah, and I, I've, got a, I've got a video called Broken Hearts Tell Tales uh, where <laughs> I did exactly that in the river bottom. Um, I've got another video called Slicing Heart Stones where I got a, a um, what do you call those, grinders? Um, and uh, my friend Alex sliced through them and then I polished them up and some of them you could see, like one of them in particular, I, I can go grab it in a minute. Um, you can see a quartz, a quartz is running right through, right where the blade went. And, and you can see it on both sides. So it, it totally looks like one of the, the, the blood vessels in the heart. Because again, you've got a blood vessel, which is surround, uh, it's, it's, the blood is flowing through a fatty tube. So it's gonna petrify the quartz in my, in my theories. Um, it, so that one is called uh, slicing heart stones. Um, then here's, here's another tiny one. That's, uh, you know, it's just, it's that same, that same pattern over and over again. So what we're told the mainstream model, what, what they tell us about these stones is that, that they're polycalcitic conglomerate cobbles. And I'll just break down the word for you. Poly means many calcitic means formed of different types of calcite. Conglomerate means a mix of different things. In this case, a mix of different conglomerations of calcite, right? So, and cobblestone is, is what they call these kinds of stones that are, that are smooth. They're also known as river rock. So they're telling us that the reason these look this way is they started as clay and that clay was in a clump. And that clump then was surrounded by other stuff and in that sedimentary layering process, compression over long periods of time, that, that clay hardened to a stone. And they're not quite metamorphic stone in the hardness scale, but they're on their way to being metamorphic. That's, that's the official story. So then how does this come out all smooth like this? Well, what they're saying is that these are basically tectonic activity is pushing these, these layers upward and then portions of those layers are breaking off and then out are popping these stones. And then they're getting rolled around in river bottoms and smoothed out. And that's how we get this. And I, I reject the notion because there's so much specificity to these and it's so repeatable and it's so scalable 
that there's some other phenomenon going on here. And it's really mm -hmm. ironic that it's matching heart anatomy so incredibly specifically. Yeah, it's hard to believe and it's coincidental. So are you finding these heart specimens just randomly everywhere or in certain kind of locations? Because in, you know, in we this live by a river and we're covered with river rock everywhere. And I swear I see a lot of rocks, similar shapes and things, even picked up a few and said, oh, hey, this looks like whatever. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to be looking at things with more of an educated eye. But go ahead. Uh, you had an answer there. Yeah. So... Um, a lot of people are like, well, you're finding them in the river bottoms. So um, hold on, let me get that out of the way. Get off the screen. Um, I was going to show you. Actually, real quick, I just want to play one one minute thing. Since we were talking about Guasp's work, I made a one minute video that really um, beautifully summarizes uh, his monumental discovery. Most people, even cardiologists, don't know anything about this. It's it's shocking that I, I studied, you know, five years at chiropractic college, and I was never, I was never told anything about this. We're taught that the heart is a four chamber pump, and it's not that. So, here we go. Let me know if you hear the sound or not. Did you know that almost oh. everything you were taught about the heart? Did you hear the sound? Yeah, it's coming in. Yes. Okay. Come on. Oops. Hey. It's not letting me move it. Hold on a second. There we go. All right. Did you know that almost everything you were taught about the heart is wrong? Most everyone today, even doctors, still believe the heart to be a four-chamber pump that pushes blood through a mind-boggling 60,000 miles of narrowing blood vessels to fuel our 40 trillion cells, then filling again as if by magic on relaxation. Well, that theory was thoroughly debunked by the Spanish cardiologist Francisco Torrent Guasp back in 1972 after dissecting thousands of hearts, Guasp finally discovered the heart's true structure. The heart's far more amazing than we ever knew. It's like a rope, a long tube wrapped into a knot. Instead of being pushed, the blood is pulled through the heart in two spiraling vortexes. This has been proven with CAT scans, functional MRI, and positronic emission. Look at the spiraling contraction. It changes everything we know about the heart and circulation. If you'd like to know more, check out these videos. So that that's what I was talking about before the the heart. So what they did is they blew up a cow heart with a gas, and then they did CAT scans, which were were you know X-rays, and they're showing electronic emission. Look at the spiraling it contractions. It changes see. everything we know about yeah. the heart and circulation. See how if it's If you'd spirals. like to know more, check out these videos. And then above, this is called positronic emission, and it's showing the exact same thing. This is the blood flow. So both the, the the heart fibers and the and the um, and the muscular contraction are, are showing the same kind of movement. And then this was really one mind blowing for me because when when he rolls this back up, first uh, first of all, 
seeing this helped me to discover that a lot of these stones had a twist at the bottom, which I had missed. I didn't even see that. And I had also missed that a lot of the lines that were in these rocks were in the were in the right place. See these see these lines here. There's one on the front and then these two on the back where the where where it's full the folds are coming back together. So I went back to my collection and started to look at them more carefully. And um that was when I started to realize that that there the sulcus lines were there where they should be. You had the blood vessels, you had that that spiraling, and it was it was very it was very repeatable. So going back to the river bottom thing, they're not just in river bottoms. We have major mud flow here where where massive amounts of these cobblestones are encased in mud and they're they're there as well. I find them um where you don't find them, ironically, is um anywhere on the mountain. Because the mountain is this this limestone that's a completely different kind of stone. It doesn't turn into these, and I've shown that in videos where you get this all of these fragmented, uh, broken things that are going down the hill, which are just pieces of this larger limestone. And, and you can follow that all the way down. It doesn't slowly erode and smooth out on its way from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the mountain. Not happening. So it's a completely different kind of stone that's in the river bottoms and is in the, and is in the mud. It's it, it, So it's just, you know, one thing after another that uh, that's lines up that suggests there might be some something to this this story so um you're probably aware of the work of frank chester where yeah, he did the chester hedron yeah so have you looked at it from a geometric perspective as far as the different geometries that evolved into what he calls the chestahedron i i haven't yet i have somebody who's offered to help me with um 3d rendering of these of these stones and and because i have enough really good examples if they were they were mapped three-dimensionally and key points were plotted you might be able to um to recognize some kind of re repeating geometry and that would be very very interesting to do uh it's just one of those things on the to-do list that yeah <laughs> i never or, seem to uh, get to it. don't yeah, tell me, I got quite a list myself. I can imagine. Uh, for folks that may not be aware of Frank Chester, here's uh, an interesting book that delineates all of his uh, geometry uh, behind what he discovered as the, the true nature of the heart, which coincides with, you know, Steiner and everybody else. So uh, really good stuff. And he he's a great guy, and he's uh, working with some people that uh, are also involved with the Walter Russell uh, University of Philosophy and, and Science and everything. So there's there's a lot of good people thinking about all this stuff. And uh, your work is just phenomenal so far here. Thank you. Um, yeah, I didn't. I, I was going to show. I mean, here's just a a quick look at. Right here we go. Is that uh, the ninth? No. Let me. I just want to show one thing because when I was looking into the mountain, it got it got very much like the the twilight zone um, because I hypothesized that there must be a um, there must be an ear because the right side of the mountain is so intact and the ear is there 
and there's no there's no collapse or fracture of the, of that side of the the mountain and when i when i went looking i i climbed up tore it tore my cross band coming down that day so i i suffered for about a year uh, after that but i climbed up to try and get up to that area but at 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 the point where you would expect there to be an ear it's about 370 meters i don't know what that would be in in yards anymore but uh or feet but let me just show you because this this was just so so wild um this is a just a little teaser that i did from the first first video uh This is everything that we've already gone through here. I tried to summarize the first year of research in 90 seconds. Usually that's going back into the channel that was right where the sinuses would be. This is where it gets weird. So right in here, you'll see, ah, I'll just let it run. This is a team of geologists that there's there's a cave there that they they went into and they mapped it out with 3d and this guy's going around a corner this looks a lot like uh if you look at the structure of a cochlea and and he's going around this corner it's just another one of many many coincidences they found bodies up there they found they, they did they, they did a 3d fly-through of this cave now wh why would they go to so much trouble to to document this so thoroughly this looks like, like a four-legged creature with horns followed by uh -huh. animals falling and a deluge <laughs> and that's your limestone that i was talking about it's just all a big fragmented mess and this is this is what i was describing before like you can see here this one this chunk down here has broken off and it's exposed channels. And inside those channels are this red earth that's literally flowing out of those channels. This is looking at the, the different kinds of, this is what I did in the fourth video. It was was all an, an analysis of the histology of the mountain. You, and you live right under that mountain? Yeah. That's so cool, man. I you know, it makes all, me think all the time. How with this perspective coming out of this, how exciting it is to go outside again. You know, it's always exciting to go outside, but there's just a whole another facet now as we're looking at the Yeah, I've I've had many people thank me for, you know, helping them to, to see the world with, with different eyes and one guy once said it was this is more powerful than psychedelic drugs he said because it doesn't wear off <laughs> well <laughs> Which it I, makes I, me think mike yeah. uh the power of crowdsourcing the truth and how people in this community you know you can start going and doing your own Whoa. investigations if you've got if you're fortunate <laughs> enough to live by a cool mountain or some large structure like that to be able to go up and hike into it bring your kids great homeschool project uh be safe of course um, and 
have fun with this because I think we're obviously uh, just at the beginning of uncovering a lot of this wonderful information here. Incredible, Mike. Uh, so cool. If you'd like, for the last yeah. year, here's here's another one. Uh, can you see that that video that's playing? Yes. So you can see right at the top where the blood. I I could show you. I could go just for the next hour, just showing you stone after stone that's following that same pattern. Um, I sent off a dozen of them to a laboratory in New Mexico, um, hoping to get some spectroscopy done to get some kind of a, a chemical analysis, because obviously if these really were hearts once upon a time, then there's a transmutation that's taken place. They're not going to be the same elemental composition as a fleshy heart because obviously now they're stone, <clears throat> but there should be some kind of a correlation between a fleshy heart. And if you looked at the periodic table of a breakdown of these stones, you should find some elements that are very, very close that, that, that it would be more than just happen chance. And so that was why I was hoping for a spectroscopic analysis. But what I got was, was a runaround. They were just parroting the mainstream narrative. They gave me no numbers whatsoever. They just spent a whole bunch of time um, talking about all of the different errors that I had made in my thinking and all the things that I should have done that I didn't do. And if they had just watched my videos, they would have realized that I had done a lot of those things and I'd already addressed a lot of the, the, uh, the subject matter. Is that twists the spiral, the bottom. So yeah, I made a video called Paradigm Crushed about that. I had recordings of our, my initial phone conversation with the guys and um, I had um, I had their conversation was also recorded. So I had 90 minutes of conversation, which I added visuals to because for people who are laymen and don't don't know all the terminology for this kind of stuff, it might seem overwhelming to wrap your head around it, but I made it very easy to understand what they were saying, what they were claiming, and did what they claimed match what I was presenting and what I had done. And uh, it's, it's a very interesting uh, dive into what happens when someone with an idea like this brushes up against mainstream thinkers that are, you know, in a position of authority and are, are respected. So yeah, that's, that was the Hearthstone phenomenon. And then for the last year, I've really focused a lot on the, um, the subject of the, the great trees, because we talked a little bit about the stumps. I'm just going to show one, one bit here. Um, trees yeah the one to me i'm fascinated about the great trees now is what about their root system and how do they connect and what was the functionality of that related to volcanoes and yeah and that. i go into all of that with my chat oh let me just show you before i show you some you know just i don't know how much longer you guys want to go but we can wrap up with um some of the stuff on the big trees if you like but i just wanted to show also um some of the thumbnails of videos that I've done recently, because I've done a lot of live streams on this subject. And um, that's where a lot of the best information is, because it takes time to go through all of this, this information. Um, just, yeah. So this, this particular video, 
is uh, the these are a bunch of examples that were sent to me by subscribers. So once people have seen these videos like you, Bear, you might go down to the river bottom and you might spot something that looks a lot like a heart. And if you do, um, I made a telegram group, biogeology chat group where people can share their finds. But some of the stuff people were sending me were far better than the things I was finding here. They were very fleshy and um, a lot of specific anatomical features in them. Um, I've made uh, many videos on this is oh, this is one yet to be made. That's going to be on the subject of instant petrification. But this idea that the trees are producing all of our all of our elements, the whole periodic table is coming from the trees is my my best guess. Uh, there's a channel called Hangman One One Two Eight, and he's got the the absolute best footage out there. I'll show a bit of, of, of photographs of it, um, and it's like 4K footage, and he's boots on the ground, and he shows that it's just amazing uh, what he's what he's presented. This is a video that I made called Spelunking Titanic Trees, where I was looking at the work of these guys, the action adventure twins, and showing that what they're what they're going down into looks very much like the water channels that can can be going through through trees. There's a whole other live stream on the subject of opals, geodes, and and how this ties into biogeology and, and that a lot of what we just think of as agates and, and other stones that were told form in these random ways might've actually been biological to begin with. If you think about all the stones that the body creates, we have gallstones, we have kidney stones, we have lymph nodes that could potentially petrify. We have all of the organs that could potentially petrify. There's over 600 lymph nodes in, in the human body alone. So, and one, one single gallbladder can have a hundred or more gallstones in it. So something that's already stone is gonna stay stone after after the the petrification process um so yeah i've gotten into that uh, this this topic of like well who cut them down if they because clearly these flat tops it looks like they were razored razored down get into the theories behind that i i i let people know that it's like you know even with steampunk technology you could take down one of these big trees it doesn't have to be some ma magic or or some powerful laser device you could do it with a diamond rope saw. Uh, you just have to make it, it big was, enough. Or it was Paul Bunyan. Or it was Paul Bunyan with a big axe, but there don't seem to be axe marks. And that, you know, that gets into this whole idea of like, well, what are these, what are these plateaus and why does water just continually pour from the top of them? Maybe that has to do with, you know, we talk, we call them artesian wells, art as an articulation or as in, you know, channel. Uh, this, this might be why we have these perpetual, uh, water sources at the top of these plateaus. They may, they may still be the, the trees may still be pumping this these waters up from the deep, uh, and then that gets into this topic also of, of salt mines. So there's a, it, it is the tree thing is an absolutely massive subject. We could we could do two hours just talking about the trees and not even touch on a on a a bit of it. Um, well, I say so, we have you back. Or round two, I'd love to go into more gigantism and especially uh, how the nature of, you know, just start to theorize how this whole system worked, right? And if and play with those ideas um, with these sort of nodal points of these massive trees and 
and uh, start to put it all together. And I was thinking too, with uh, um, bringing biogeometry in or radiesthesia and stuff that Bear does with the chakra system of, for say this elephant, right? And if there's still a hmm. remnant of um, those energetics within that mountain, if you could tie into that and read those and start to see hmm. if those chakras, you know, thought. Yeah, I mean, like with with dowsing rods or something. Or? Correct. We do have huh. Raymond Grace coming on yeah, no, there. By uh, the way, in de early December, I booked them. Uh, we have Raymond Grace coming on December seventh. Oh, yeah, that's going to talk be fun. about dowsing and water. But go ahead, Bear. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, Mike, that uh, my brain's been going a mile a minute hearing you talk <laughs> here and everything. So I've got some ideas and things I'd love to do, do even on location. And Mike read my mind as far as uh, you know using different kind of instruments, and they're not just crude. Uh, Crude dowsing instruments work, but it depends on a practitioner. Uh, on the other hand, there are great refinements in radiesthesia, biogeometry, things like that. But I also have some other ideas and things that could be correlated with all this. And, and this is what I love because, uh, you know, I don't know what you know, but then it kind of triggers my thought processes in, in different directions as well. So uh, I would love to have it at least a, a part two someday, but uh, go ahead, Absolutely. finish up with what you're uh, Yeah, what I'll you're say a couple here. things. One, uh, Mike, you mentioned the the Friday group, the presentation that I did uh, just a few days ago, and uh, you haven't seen that yet, Bear, but basically a lot of the people in that group, I think were kind of unfamiliar with my, my work. So I did an overview like I've done with you today. You, you know, your audience is, I don't know how much of them, are familiar with with the work that's on my channel but the, the the last third of that presentation there were a whole bunch of slides that i just flew through and that gets into the the nitty-gritty on petrification all of the different things that are provable you know colification petrification through the use of plasma uh, they've they've petrified wood in a matter of of days in laboratories and it's identical even in you know composition to petrified wood that is supposedly hundreds of millions of years old there's a guy making rubies in a micro in a microwave in a matter of seconds he's mixing two different powders together putting inside of a crucible it's creating plasma arcing and it and it takes these powders and it literally creates rubies in seconds um the the whole connection between the big trees and volcanoes is very intimate because they were trees, maybe not all of them, but many of them. And when we look at coal and we look at obsidian, you can find in between stages where the tree grain is still there. Um, so that that is something that I'd you know love to talk with you guys about and uh, go into more more detail with. And if you like, I can finish up with a few of the just the best photographs, some of my favorite from from Hangman One One Two Eight's work because. The stumps are one thing, and that's a hot bone of contention for many people. Oh, no, they couldn't. That's not how trees grow, and they don't have hexagonal columns when you, you know, or hexagonal uh, structures inside of them when you when you look at the cross sections, blah, blah, blah. But I always felt like that it's not something I'm going to touch on because it's not conclusive in my mind, but it's interesting. It's compelling. Um, but when I saw Hangman's work, it was so self-evident to me. It was so obvious that what you're looking at is big trees. So I'll just pick out some of my my favorite uh, my favorite images from that, and and we can uh, can feel free to ask questions along the way or make comments. But 
So again, what I was saying, gigantism is is accepted in the mainstream model. It's just really a question of how big did things get. And already, if if you accept that that looks a lot like tree, that's too big, right? Because, <laughs> because trees weren't weren't that big. Um, and I'm just going to breeze through a bunch of these photographs here. So quartz sap it petrifies to quartz. Amber is also sap, and they call that petrified petrified sap. But an amber on the hardness scale is only a 2.5, whereas quartz is like a seven. And ruby sapphire is a nine, diamond is a 10. And, and so this is, um, you know, this is very interesting because what they're calling petrified sap, in my opinion, isn't even petrified. It's just hardened sap. Maybe it's oxidized and been exposed to air. And, and uh, so this, this is, I'm just going to breeze through these. And, and a lot of people are talking about the stumps, right? Is that just cooling mm -hmm. lava that, that jutted upward and, and just happens to look like this incredible tree? A lot of people would call this melted building, but if you look at it more closely, you can see that there's, there's all kinds of grain underneath. This is exactly what Petra looks like. I'm convinced that Petra was formerly a tree. A lot of people would say melted building with this. And I think this is just, um, it's, it's sandstone that is, this is how cedar is identical. And, and it's probably been eroded with, with major water flow. This is Petra. And uh, it, when you see it with new eyes, it, to me, it, it's pretty obvious that that's tree. Stump, stump. A lot of people want to say that this is um, muscle fiber. I no longer believe that. I think it's it's far more likely that this is cedar grain. You know, how does this fit in your petrogenesis narrative <laughs> of layers, tectonic activity, breaking off? How do you get concentric rings and swirling, you know, kinds of, of patterns with all sorts of different colors? It makes a whole lot more sense that this was was biological originally. So if you look at the structure of, of tree, um, which I've got more, you know, look at this. How does this form? You've got this wow. thing and then it does That's this an and then it does this. Like how on earth does that form? According to mainstream geology, you'll get somebody that's coming up with some far-fetched answer. And you can see the, the layers and the banding. These are all just tiny, tiny grains of sand and something that was it's so big you can't even wrap your head around it. We're, we're talking about trees that were miles wide at the base. And this isn't even the best um, the best photographs. I'm getting to those here. Because this is really, this is looking at the sandstone. Look at this. This is, this is in Colorado, right? It's um, boulder. Mm. Red rock? Red rock. Amphitheater? Yeah. yeah, that's what that, that place was. Is insane. Yeah. So the um they're in the wrong order. So I'm just gonna have to go one at a time here. So there are videos where where Hangman has gone up. Hangman1128 is the channel. Go to that channel and watch this footage. It's amazing. I'm just showing screenshots from it, but he'll pull off a section of this. And so you've got one section which is gray and oxidized and is fully stone and then as you sweep to the to the right it's 
darker and darker and it's got all the original color of the wood grain and it 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 cleaves in the same same fashion um and he'll pull off a piece and look and 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 show that it's still fibrous inside and it's just very undeniable in my opinion but there are some very prominent members of the the truther community that are denying it and saying that it's just it's just the, what rocks do it's just pareidolia and when i see something like this it, it to me it's very obviously tree and um this particular folder that i'm in definitely opens up a whole other idea around um the nature of the realm and how shrinking and growing and you know i always trip out when i look at ants and wonder how their life is down being that small and what life could have been if we were that small at one point, you know, and it's, you know, it's like these thoughts you have as a little kid, right. About just a different the sizes. Who down in Whoville. <laughs> yeah. 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 Horton, here's a who totally. This is, this is clearly a knot of a tree. You can see the tree grain. Some of this stuff still has the color of the original, the original wood in it. Um, yeah, I feel like I find rocks all day around here that I'm like, this has to be petrified wood. And they say, oh, that's just a rock. I feel, I mean, anywhere you go, you, I just find stuff like that. Oh, we're, yeah, same here. Since we deal with rocks all day long when we're just clearing land and digging and everything else, we're just finding crazy stuff all the time and wondering, what the heck is that thing? And you want to hallucinate certain shapes and things into it. And, you know, maybe there's more to it now that... Uh, I'm definitely going to be keeping my eyes open for the heart-shaped ones because I found or seen a lot of those in the past, but just figured it was just coincidental. Well, when you I look will. at this, is what they're telling us is one of the biggest petrified trees in the world. Here's a petrified stump. <laughs> it, it's, you know, this is an actual petrified forest. They used to be all over the place and they harvested them. I've talked about this in a number of the videos. Yeah. There's all kinds of old newspaper articles where they're talking about mining the petrified forests, where they were getting $15,000 of silver to the ton from the petrified trees. They were producing gold, they were producing silver, they were producing copper in huge amounts. But were they producing it or did it transmute to those elements when the event happened? I think that's far more likely. I don't think that that exactly. the world the world was such that the trees were were growing and they were metallic and I mean it's possible you know avatar but I think what's far more likely is that there was a transmutation of elements this is this is looking at just regular petrified wood and um you know how big did those stumps get that's a, that's an actual tree stump maybe that is too and then you see stuff like this what the heck is going on there? How does a volcano do that? Some suggest that you know there's a there's a root structure under under Devil's Tower, but if you think about the the action adventure twins, it looks to me like they're going down these channels and then and then there's little it, it goes off and then they go they they go off to the side and then they go down again and then they go off to the side. And there's no signs of any kind of water erosion that would have formed those those fissures. This is one of my favorites. This is straight out of the work of Hangman. 
Well, we'll make uh, sure we have the hangman channel in the show notes below. This has been a phenomenal investigation into a whole new topic. That's very new to bear and I, and I can't wait to watch more of your videos, Mike, and uh, go deeper into this and have you back. Uh, let's try. Well, it's been it's been fun to, and honored honored to be invited. You guys are great. I've been watching your work now for a few years, and and very high level stuff. And I've I've learned so much watching you. I didn't know about Walter Russell until until I heard you guys go through his some of his work, and and uh, now I own a couple of uh, books and and have listened to some of his audio books. And it's just like how how were we not taught this stuff? Like this is you know, oh. In school, how interested would kids be <laughs> in math if they knew about sacred yeah. geometry and and all these things? It's just like my kids, my daughter is trying to finish up some courses and she's doing algebra. And it's just like there's no connection to reality whatsoever. And, and she's never going to use any of that stuff. And it's just boring. And, and there's so such better ways to teach trauma-based indoctrination is what it is. Yeah. That's exactly what it is, the public indoctrination system. Yeah. Mike, well, this has been amazing. Uh, I have a lot to digest. I'm going to be uh, watching a lot of stuff here. And when we have you back, uh, hopefully I'll be able to ask some, uh, <laughs> you know, good intelligent questions, you know, but this time I'm just kind of sitting back and, and taking it all in. So uh, thank you. This has been amazing. My pleasure. Everybody go support Mike on his channel, youtube.com forward slash stellium seven. That's S T E L L I U M number seven, which is in the show notes below. Uh, go give him a like and a thumbs up, uh, smash those Rogans, please guys. And, uh, we'll see you next week uh, <laughs> on Thursday at 10 AM. Once again, uh, I don't know what we have on next week. I think it might be Amanda Volmer. We'll see. Um, but uh, oh, be oh, she's she's fantastic. Oh, actually, next week is Larkin Rose uh, to uh, oh, go into voluntarism, voluntarism and his new film that's come out. Finally, Jones Plantation film and uh, Larkin's great. So uh, that'll well, for sure earn us a strike. Well, we won't bring up Flat Earth too around Larkin. He doesn't tend to. Uh, he's a globy. Well, just his normal subject matter will will definitely get us censored one way or the other. But it'll be fun in either way. Toroid Earth, you can bring that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you said Je Jefferson. What what the state of Jefferson? You said at the very beginning. Where, where, are, you, where are you, Mike? I don't even know where you are. Larkin will definitely uh, like that as well. Uh, so Bear and I are up uh, here in the border of California and Oregon, uh, where the state of Jefferson was a separatist movement in the 70s with a few of the counties of NorCal and the counties of uh, Southern Oregon came together as a separatist movement to create their own state. Uh, and uh, that spirit still uh, lives here and is deep embedded in the culture and the people here. And so that's why we open up the show with that because we love it here for that purpose very agrarian oh i thought it was a joke i didn't realize there was an actual oh no no this uh <laughs> southern oregon uh northern california is actually uh not what people would think of as california and let's just say we will never be disarmed here <laughs> right klamath falls that that whole area up there right isn't that oh no is that 
Klamath Falls is Southern Oregon. That's um, that's actually close to the Sky Lakes Wilderness, where I took my kids on an awesome backpacking trip last month. And, man, Rogue River? Rogue River, yep. yep. Is that that's near up, you guys? That's up or by that us. Uh, yeah. I'm headed up that way right now, actually, Southern Oregon. Beautiful, um, beautiful countryside. I was there as a do, kid camping. We have the Siskiyou Mountain Range here, which is the only east-west mountain range in um, in the west coast, I believe. Everything else is north-south, and it's, like I was saying, it's very... Um, it's got a lot of serpentine and it's a totally unique and different kind of mountain range than anywhere else. So I'm looking forward to exploring more of it with this mindset now to see what mm. I find. So, um, yeah, let me know what you come across. I, um, yeah, we're literally surrounded by mountains. So this is mm. a, a great playground for us to, to go looking for behemoths and Titan skulls. And yeah. Stuff, dig so. in, dig into the hangman footage because then you'll see, He's not approaching it from this, you know, the same perspective. He he's he's got a um, very devout Christian perspective, which is great, and uh, he's he's looking at it from from the Bible's perspective. But he's very methodical in his coverage of it and showing all the different manifestations and all the different stages and how it all goes, how all the pieces fit together, and it's it's self evident in my that. opinion. Yeah, I look forward to seeing all of those. And uh, this is also Bigfoot country, so you might even find some living fossils here. Cool. Indeed. Hey, thanks Sasquatch. so much, guys. Um, uh, thanks for watching today. We love you. Remember to get outside, get your feet in the dirt, go plant something, uh, go uh, hug a tree, maybe a really big tree that you think's a rock that's actually a tree. And we'll see you next week, week <laughs> with Larkin. Uh, Till then, love you guys. Ciao. Bye.